this episode of Adventures in Being Gifted. You know, going back so many years, I've just had a lot of different mentors and different teachers and different people in my life who have supported my interests in some way. And that that has just shown me like how rewarding the process of learning, not even just learning in the classroom, but learning anything um, can be. That and a whole lot more coming up. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Adventures in Being Gifted podcast. I'm Jill Hartsock. And I'm Jessica Mullen. And we're two experienced gifted teachers and your hosts. This podcast is a place for parents, educators, and students living the gifted adventure to hear stories, practical tips, and deep dive into relevant topics related to being gifted. So come along for another Adventures and Being Gifted episode. Oftentimes, we assume people know what quote-unquote gifted means, but defining it is harder than we think. So we asked some of our third grade students what being gifted means to them. Listen in and check out what they have to say. They're funny, they're serious, they're meaningful, and they're honest. I think gifted means special and, I mean, special and also smart. (laughs) I I think gifted means to be special, smart, and unique. I think gifted means that, uh, I think gifted means it's a gym class for your brain and you have more memory and you learn more. I'm thinking a different way, having more potential to accomplish something, something in certain, specializing in certain skills. What I think gifted means is because um, it's an advanced class for people who have more skill in in other subjects. I think what gifted means is mind thinking plus creativity plus technology plus science plus math plus engineering equals gifted. I think gifted means that you have a large amount of thinking, creativity, and imagination. I think gifted um, is a growth mindset for your brain. So um, I think if like the reason you're in the class because um, you have something that others don't. Um, thank you. I think gifted is like for stretching your brain. I think gifted means smart and special. I think gifted means um, you're extra smart. It's like an exercise for your brain. And it's also um, because you're unique and you're smarter and you know other subjects other than reading and English and things like that. Gifted means you have special talents that when sharpened can be used to help you and others. So it's most likely that you're born for this so like you get a problem and you can do it. That's what gifted means. Gifted means that you can problem solve and different ways that some people may not have thought of. I think 
Gifted means you have a, a special ability to do something really good. Help yourself, help others, and yeah. I think gifted means that you understand the world better, better than some people do, like reading and math and writing. I think gifted means you have special talents and get to look at the world in a different way. I think gifted means that the ones who know more than the others. Just like in GPSG means for gifted. That that means that the the ones who know better than the others are in GPS. You have extra learning in a different way. You think differently than others. I think gifted is um, a place where you have more teachers to understand your abilities because you can do more things than others can. I think gifted means that you are very academical. Today we're talking to Jack Howard, an alumni of our district's gifted program. We recognized his drive, determination, and his love of learning all the way back in elementary school. And it's amazing to see where his gifted adventure has taken him. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Today on Adventures in Being Gifted, we have Jack Howard, an Indiana University grad with a bachelor's in public health. He received his biology master's in one year from IUPUI, and he is now a first-year med student at the University of Cincinnati. He didn't always plan on going to med school, but his love of learning, especially in science, His leadership skills and his enjoyment of working with other people led him to where he is today. So we are so excited to welcome you, Jack. Thanks for being our guest today. Well, thank you for having me. This is such a privilege to be on here. I listened to last week's episode, and I think this is a really valuable endeavor that two of you are are taking on. So happy to help in a small way. Yes. Welcome, Jack. So thank you so much for coming. So you from what Jill just said, you have completed a lot of schooling in a short amount of time. So what makes you want to now dive into even more school with med school? So that is, uh, that's a short question that has a long answer. So I will uh, do my best to sum that up. Um, I would say kind of given some more background on why I ultimately chose medicine, that really goes back to high school, even though I wasn't aware of it at the time where I was involved in cross country and track. I was also involved in martial arts extracurricularly. And that kind of built this team-based mindset for me from a pretty young age. And so going into college, I still craved that and, you know, wanted to have a profession that involved working with other people, but I had no idea what I wanted to do because, um, and I'm sure we'll get into this later. One of, (laughs) I think one of the things that sets me apart in terms of being gifted, like if you look at the spectrum, is that I, for so many years, had very specific interests in a bunch of different things. Um, and so going into college, I had no idea like how to pursue that in a way that would lead to a career. And so um, the reason I ended up in med school was basically for a variety of factors. Like you guys said, I got involved in some leadership positions in college. I was taking some science courses and I was doing a lot of kind of uh, 
exploration of different career paths, a lot of them that were in healthcare, and eventually realized that uh, medicine was the perfect path for me. So that's where I am today. That is an incredible journey. And I cannot wait to keep like dissecting into these parts of your life. But I think I'm going to go all the way back to when you were in third grade with us and you were in the gifted program at that time. And I'm just curious now that you're in your twenties, what do you think was something about you that just made you love to learn? And it's kind of been a thread throughout your whole life. This is actually interesting because I was talking to my mom about this yesterday and I actually, I don't think I was technically in the gifted program when I was in class with you. Um, we think, yeah, we, we think that I, yeah, right. Well, we think that I definitely was in it in fourth, fifth and sixth grade. I know that I remember the teachers I had. I remember the class, but um, my mom seems to think that, you know, I remember that you and, and Mrs. Messerschmidt, I think you had received your training, obviously, and, you know, identifying gifted students at the time. And my mom seems to think that it was, you know, you two who recognized that I had some of the, the tendencies, some of the traits and kind of just let me let me go on my, you know, just have just an amazing time that year. I still think that third grade was one of my favorite years because of, of you two and the environment that the two of you were able to to cultivate. Um, but um, so anyway, going back to your question, sorry for the for the offshoot. I would say there are probably <laughs> I would say that there are probably three different factors. Um, starting from the earliest is I would say my parents had a pretty big impact on my general desire to learn. My dad is one of the most intelligent people I know. And from a very young age, he had a bunch of different interests. Like he loved music. Um, there was a, a time period in his life for two years where he actually, and this was before technology was really kind of mainstream. This is probably early 2000s where he managed to build his own arcade machine that was like programmed to play all of these different arcade games and stuff. So growing up, I got to see like how just, you know, hobbies and curiosities could lead you down different life paths. And so I think from a very young age, I kind of understood that um, you didn't just have to be interested in things that were being taught in the classroom, right? Like you could have other interests outside of that. And certainly with, with you, Mrs. Messerschmidt, you proved that too. Um, and then I was also very lucky to, to have other teachers and professors down the line who cultivated that too. I was reading this really interesting article. This is actually last week um, that was talking about what curiosity even is, because something that I often think of myself is like, how did I even get to this point of, you know, loving learning so much? And it was written by this psychologist who actually studies curiosity for a living. And he had this brilliant way of summing it up that I'd never heard before, but that makes so much sense. And he was saying that, you know, curiosity and loving to learn, it's, it's not really based on what you don't know, right? Because we think that people who love to learn, like love to learn new information, but really it's based on like what you've already been exposed to because you're more likely to be interested in something if you think, like if your brain thinks that you can potentially tackle that, right? And so I was reflecting on that and I just think that, you know, going back so many years, I've just had a lot of different mentors and different teachers and different people in my life who have, supported my interests in some way. 
And that that has just shown me like how rewarding the process of learning, not even just learning in the classroom, but learning anything um, can be. So that's a pretty long answer, but that's, I think, a, a good summary of it. Well, that is so fun to kind of go down memory lane because I really, truly thought you were in the gifted program when we taught you in gen ed third grade. What you hit on was that idea of the curiosity piece. And I think that is one of the biggest gifted characteristics that we see at an early age. The kids who are asking the questions, the kids who are wanting to read more and learn more and dive deep on certain subjects. Um, I just remember your independent study on yes. snakes, right? <laughs> Wasn't it on snakes? Something? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. Did you end up getting a snake, by the way, a pet snake? Yes, I did. Uh, my mom is the biggest trooper of all time for that. I, I still I, I still think there's a part of her her memory that is probably permanently shut off so that she doesn't have to access the, uh, the time I had that snake. But um Best mom award goes to goes to Karen Howard because yes, the year after, uh, or that summer actually after I finished third grade, I I got a corn snake and had one for a few years. Oh my gosh, what a good mama she is! Kudos <laughs> to Karen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Shout out to Karen if she's listening to this at all. Oh my Hopefully gosh. Hopefully she will. Well, I, we love the fact that you are learning more about your own curiosity. Would you mind sharing that article with us? And we'll put that in our notes on this podcast so other people can read that. Because I think that is a huge piece of just understanding our brain and the way that the gifted brain works. Um, And we were just having a conversation about that over lunch, weren't we, Jess? Yep. We're both reading books about neuroscience right now. Yeah, it was actually from a psychology and neuroscience paper, it looks like, which is pretty cool. And I I mean, I was shocked I read it, too, because it makes so much sense. Absolutely. I can I'll send that to you. Definitely. Wow. So do you have some moments that you can remember you are still curious through high school and and even just your undergrad? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, for me, that that goes back to some of the professors and some of the subjects that I was interested in at the time in high school. I was particularly interested in science and uh, in English. And I just remember that, you know, the having those teachers that were willing to kind of not not personalize your curriculum, but give you resources outside of class to go and research if you were interested in was what was key for me and my curiosity. Like I remember <laughs> I was in high school, I think it was probably junior year because that's when I took AP chemistry. But um, I was really interested in like I think it was like nuclear chemistry or or something like that, some completely random topic. And my my AP chem professor walks in and he's like, I don't need this anymore and you can have it. And it's this like 800 page nonfiction book called The Making of the Atomic Bomb. And like, I still have that, you know, I still have that book. and I still look through that because of how, you know, seminal moment that was where it was like, yeah, you know, you can go and pursue other things that are not or that are tangentially related to the classroom or for English, for example, it, um, I think the the bigger theme for all of these is that I had moments where professors showed me that the things you learn in the classroom can be connected to the real world, like through your own curiosity. I think that's the, that's the underlying theme of, of me and how I've been able to like reflect on my own gifted characteristics and apply them. And in English, it was that, you know, you're, you're not just reading books to, like hear the story you're reading them to understand 
human psychology, right? Like we're reading Jane Eyre so we can understand like how people thought back then and understand how real human beings think. And that was a really profound um, realization for me because that, I think that was pretty big because I'd always love to read, but that particular year, you know, showed me that reading wasn't just a way of like entertainment. It was a way of expanding your knowledge about the world. Like you didn't have to be reading nonfiction to do that. You could read fiction to understand how people think or how someone might think in a certain situation. Um, so that was, that was high school. And in college, it was more so, it was kind of that, but I guess to the, the next degree where uh, the, the courses that I remember were the ones that synthesized a lot of the knowledge from previous courses, right? So for example, I was, I was a public health um, major, but in, in my senior year, that's when I really started to consider going to medical school. And so I took a class that was called you know, microbiology of infectious disease. And uh, it wasn't your typical microbiology class because what we did was we took six um, specific pathogens. So for example, we would take the flu virus and this professor was a genius because she would start with like the smallest of the small. Like you would look at like, how does this thing replicate, right? Like how does this thing reproduce? How does that affect your body? How does your body respond? And you basically went from, you know, minimal to maximal of like how all that affects how we treat it in society. Um, and I was just thinking like, this is, this is so cool. It's, it's, you could actually see like how knowledge is applied at each level. Um, and so like when I think of, of college, that's the course that comes back to me the most is like that thought process of understanding that everything is connected in some way. Um, I think really made me feel like my curiosity was a strength. Sorry, that was a really convoluted answer. <laughs> oh, gosh, that makes us think about the neural pathways and all those things that are happening to your brain when you are super engaged and super interested um, yes. in learning, building on, you know, things you already knew or didn't know exactly. So I just think that's really remarkable. And it's very interesting to say that when you think back on college, that's what stands out is that topic and that that class. So tell us, Jack, when did you realize that you were gifted? Obviously you were identified at a young age, but when did you personally realize that you were gifted? You know, that's, that's a good question. And I think for me, it was around probably end of end of high school, early college. And it wasn't even so much that I realized that, that I was gifted. It, it was just realizing that I saw things differently than some people. And the reason I realized that was how I studied. So for me, I realized from um, a pretty young age that if I was reading things that were related to the things I was learning in the classroom, that that helped my memory a lot. And so when I got into college and when I got into my master's and stuff, I would, you know, program my reading schedule to like match up the topics we were talking about in class. And then when it came to exam time, you know, I was just, I would just think back, okay, like what, what book was I reading at that time? What were the topics that I connected to that book? And like, oh, that's, that's what it is. And um, I had been doing that for, for years. And it wasn't until I started studying with other people where I realized like, I didn't know really anyone else who was studying that way. Um, and so that's kind of when I realized that I just approached things differently and had been doing so for quite a few years, really. Yeah, I love how you said that 
it's not necessarily you being gifted, but it's just that you do things in a little bit different way than others. That's awesome. Right. Right. Because, you know, I definitely have learned many other ways of studying that are, are efficient too from other people and, you know, learning and, and, and curiosity are, are definitely collaborative. I mentioned earlier that so many different people have impacted, you know, my curiosity and different things. And uh, I can only think that that will uh, increase in the future. So talking about who has impacted you. So who, who do you think has impacted you the most in the decisions that you've made in your life? Well, they say that you're a composite of the five closest people to you. I'm not exactly sure who said that, but that's something that I think about a lot. And so definitely my parents, uh, my fiance and one of my close friends, Drew have all impacted me a lot on the personal level, but I think I've also been uh, not, I think I know I've been extremely lucky to have a lot of, of high quality mentors in a variety of different fields. Uh, you know, for example, when I was in, in college, um, I helped to create a new fraternity and my fraternity advisor was the, um, director of actually diversity and, you know, residential education at IU. And he taught me so many things about just, you know, um, diversity and how to be welcoming to people and how to understand your strengths and weaknesses, things like that. So on the one hand, I'd had someone like him who was maybe more of like a, a social sciences kind of person. And then I've had, you know, professors of, um, you know, cancer biology who have taught me how to think like a scientist would, how to just, you know, rigorously assess your thinking until you have, you know, eliminated all doubts that, you know, what you're thinking is, is true or, or the, the hypothesis in front of you is, is anything, um, but correct. So I'm very fortunate in that regard. I would say my mentors and my family are just, um, you know, remarkable influences. I, I don't give myself a lot of credit. I want to say that 99% of the things that have happened in my life are because I have luckily ended up at the right place at the right time and have had people who have thought that I was someone who was worth spending time on, honestly. Well, and you're a very reflective person, Jack. So it sounds like you're also very open to what you're learning from others and what you can take and glean from the people around you. So that's that's a pretty mature piece um, in and of itself. I'm just wondering, with all of these things that you've shared, which is just incredible, what are the things, the biggest things about yourself that you are aware of that you're going into med school right now this fall? So um, I, I definitely, you know, I, I think I'm very good at realizing what a good opportunity is and taking advantage of that. Um, but also at the flip side of that, knowing when to say no and perhaps pursue something else. I think I've, I've gotten good at both of those two. Um, sorry, I, something just fell out of my mind. I was going to say, give me a second on, on what it was. I think, um, time management as well as something I've gotten pretty good at over the last several years. So I think those two things will take me pretty far, but also understanding that, um, you know, you have to get going into something like this is it's important to remember that it's, it's collaborative in a lot of ways. I think, unfortunately I've, I've seen it you know, going down this medical school path. I know people who have seen it going down the law school path, things like that. For some reason, some people believe that, you know, your personal success has to come at the expense of somebody else's. And I just cannot believe that that is true um, for a minute. So 
I hope that I can keep that mindset (laughs) over the next few years and really the rest of my life as well. Right. I know some friends of ours who have also gone through med school and it seemed like they found a small group of people to collab with. I know Jessica's sister went to med school, so maybe she can speak to that. Yeah, very much. She definitely had her little niche of who she studied with the best and who was as focused as she was and, you know, similarities in that aspect. So it's tough. It's good to have a group. So Jack, what would be something that you are also aware of that you want to improve and Um, it's either a trait or a characteristic that you're thinking I need to get better at, or this is going to be a challenge for me, especially to med school. (laughs) I, yes, certainly. I think that, uh, you know, something that I have struggled with for many years is, um, being too self-critical. You know, I, I think it's great to, to be reflective. I think that, you know, I, I'm a pretty reflective person, but knowing when to, cut off the negative self-talk and just live is something that I'm still working on. And uh, I've gotten a lot better at that. I've definitely made a lot of progress in that. And I hope that continues. Um, but I'm definitely going to keep that in mind as the road gets a bit narrower, if, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. How, how have you been able to work through, especially the um, kind of the pressure you put on yourself or the negative self-talk, what have been some practical things that you've done to kind of work through that? I think it's, first of all, it's, it's important to be self-aware. I I think that um, it's hard to understand you're going through a problem if you're not aware of it. And so being open with yourself is definitely the first step. And the second step is to not be afraid to get help for that. If you need to, I've actually, um, seen a couple of therapists, not because I felt like I, you know, was having some type of, um, crisis that I couldn't deal with, but just because I wanted like an objective standpoint on how my mindset works and what the strengths and weaknesses are. And I'll probably do that again, once I start going back to school, because, uh, frankly, I think that mental health is not talked about enough. And I think that a lot of people could benefit pretty greatly from, you know, just going to talk with, someone who's licensed and understands how to kind of piece apart the human mind and how certain things can work together. So that's a a huge aspect. And then for me, um, you know, just doing things that keep me in the moment. I'm, I'm a very physically active person. You know, the days where I get up in the morning and and work out are consistently the days that are better than the, the days that I don't. And, uh, and meditation too. I've been meditating, regularly for the about the past five years. And, uh, that was just a remarkable, um, discovery of how much just 10 minutes a day on that can completely change, like the mental traffic in your mind, so to speak. Wow. You are an amazing human. And I'm so glad that you <laughs> brought <too> up <laughs> mental health because it is such an important topic. Um, and I know we're touching on it on a few episodes that um, so far. So tell us a little bit more. I know you've talked about some of the strategies you use, but how do you balance it all? Obviously, I I love that you mentioned the meditation, the exercise, but like even, you know, as you enter back into the new medical school or into schooling again, like how do you balance, balance mm-hmm. it all? The social the, and like just your day, your time. How do you how do you balance it? Yeah. So this is actually a shift that I made a few years ago and it was, uh, it was a result of 
exactly what you're saying, kind of the stress of balancing everything. I think there's such an emphasis on being productive in society and in, in especially in, in U.S. culture. Um, and I think that, you know, that's not always for the better. I think that we really need to redefine what the word productive means. I did that a long time ago because for a long time, I thought that productive meant you have a 100 list or 100 checkbox to do list and you're getting, you know, 98 or 99 of those things done every day. And I was profoundly unsatisfied when I was doing that. And so for me, I switched my definition of productivity to am I spending my time doing things that I want to be doing? And am I getting the results that I want from those things? As simple as that. That's my definition of productivity. So for me, how that works day to day is I don't have a to-do list, but I have a calendar, right? So my day is scheduled with things that I should be doing or that I want to do. And I block off time for that. Um, and someone might say like, well, what's the difference between having that and having a to-do list? The difference is that at the end of the day, I look back on how I spent my time, right? I don't look back necessarily on the things that I do, but I look back and I say, all right, I spent two hours studying for that thing. Like I said, I was going to, or I spent an hour, you know, going for a walk with my fiance and that changes the mentality a little bit because at the end of the day, you can say, you know what, I might not have everything done that I need to have done, but I spent my time in the way that I wanted to. And I'm satisfied with that. And that has made such a huge change on my mental health and the way that I structure my life. Um, so that's how I do it. And I hope that I can continue to do that in school too. Now, was that a self-discovery shift or was that something that was supported or even suggested by like your parents or like you were saying, the, the circle kind of of trust of the people around you? It was kind of self-discovery and, and, and lifestyle. Um, just, you know, what's a sustainable lifestyle, right? Because going through college, especially with, you know, the, the pre-med track, that's a lot of things that you have to do. And it's tough to kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel when you're doing so much. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of things too, I think that I was, well, I guess I should say too, that before, before I made that realization, I actually did uh, a time track, which is something that one of my mentors talked to me about. A time track is where you spend, you know, you can spend as much time as you want on it. I, I think I did it for two or three weeks where you are keeping a journal and you literally are writing down every single way that you spend your time. And it, it sounds really, you know, kind of um, maniacal, like very, very uh, OCD in, in a certain way. But that showed me I was wasting so much time on trivial things that were not you know, giving me what I wanted out of life. Mm -hmm. And so I think that like, if, if you're someone who feels like you don't have the time to do things you want to do, do a time track like that and just see how much time you're spending scrolling through your phone. Or maybe you are, you know, doing things that really aren't giving you that sense of reward in your life. Um, and there are, there are plenty of books too, that are about this. I, I think there's one called like deep work. Um, Indistractable is another one. So it was part, partially self-discovery, partially, you know, talking to mentors and partially seeking out like other books, if that makes sense, that made me discover that. So how do you feel about social media? Do you avoid it to stay on track or do you learn from it? What do you, what do you feel? 
I think the jury is out on unlimited access to social media. I think that that is, to me, that's essentially a drug. And I, I think that if you look at the papers that have been written on that, all the psychology behind that, that there's there's irrefutable evidence that constantly looking at social media is detrimental to everybody's mental health. And I can't even imagine what it is like for small kids um, because of just the just I mean, I, I think about it in terms of my mind. Right. Because I my mind loves to be stimulated and your brain is going to follow the path of least resistance. So if you have unlimited access to a device that can constantly give you stimulation, you're going to be on that thing 24 seven. I've seen it with myself. I've seen it with my friends. It's not even that I think social media is necessarily the problem because I feel like social media just allowed things to happen that already existed in society before that. Right. But the thing for me is, is that like, Going forward, yeah, I'm probably going to have my fiance change my passwords and, you know, not have access to it in, in medical school very much. Right now, I try and stick to, you know, looking at it for five minutes a day. I have timers on my phone for it. Um, but I definitely think that you know, that's that's my biggest advice to, to young people is to just be be aware of <laughs> the pitfalls of, of social media. That's I'm sure you both can agree that that's that could be you know probably two or three more episodes of this podcast itself (laughs) well that was a great like tidbit of advice because we've been talking about this with some of our other guests and it it's funny that you say you put a timer on your phone because another guest said the same thing and we've been talking about it with our own selves and our own children so I love that suggestion because that's super easy but it's also very practical and it helps you stay on track to achieving your goals and how you want to spend your time. Yeah. And for me, the question that I always ask whenever I am having difficulty with social media uh, usage is I just ask myself, when was the last time you actually got on social media and looked at something that made you like genuinely happy? Right. Like what, what was it for me? I can give you that answer. Three weeks ago, I was at my cousin's wedding and this week she posted her photos from that wedding. And I was like, man, that was a great time. That was really fun. That was it. That, I literally cannot think of another time besides that. And that's not to, that's not to say that, you know, it, you know, it's it's anyone that I follow is problem or anything. It's just that I think we all know that passively looking at, you know, somebody else's highlight reel while we compare that to our blooper reel is not, you know, a great way to psychologically function day to day. You nailed it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So beyond social media, what other kind of tips or advice would you give like current high schoolers just to manage life and time and, you know, figure out what, you know, they want for their career path and what kind of advice would you give? My biggest piece of advice is that you have more time than you think. Hmm. I love Mason. I, I, very happy to have gone to a Mason, uh, to Mason high school and gotten a Mason education. I always will be. That being said, you know, when I was in high school, a lot of the people that I talked to were convinced that they were going to be, you know, aerospace engineering neurosurgeons who also had, you know, a fortune 500 company. So (laughs) it can be really, it can be really daunting to not feel like you don't have any idea what you want to do, um, with your life when your peers, feel like they do or talk like they do. But the reality is that 
just about everybody I know, myself included, has completely changed their career path before they graduated college. And so it's okay to not know what you um, what you're interested in. And it's I mean, especially if you look at, you know, how you're developing at the time, you're still figuring out who you are as a person in high school. I think it's I, I think that it's um, an, an exercise in futility to think that you'll have the exact same interests in high school that you will in college because you're just going to be changing so much. So that's the first piece of advice is just, you know, breathe, relax. It's OK if you don't know. Um, and I feel like, honestly, people, that could pertain to everybody every day. Like you just don't always yeah. have all the answers. So and it's OK to not have all the answers. Yeah, right. absolutely. I didn't mean absolutely. to interrupt. <laughs> no, that's that, you're totally right. That's that's totally true. Um, and the second piece of advice, though, kind of is like how to make, you know, a, a, how you make a practical plan from that. For me, I would say um, it's just, you know, do everything that you can to explore potential interests that you have. Kind of going back to social media, I think one of the biggest problems with social media is that you can find someone who has glorified every possible lifestyle on social media and made it seem like this end all be all absolute source of happiness that, you know, I'm better than everybody else. We all know how to fake that on social media. And there are so many fictional portrayals of things that are really accessible. And it's very easy to get a one-sided view of certain professions in that way. So my advice would be try and seek out the most realistic portrayal of whatever career path you want to go in as possible, whether that's shadowing a doctor or whether that's, you know, going into someone who works in business and seeing what their day to day is like. Like you have to find out for yourself what day to day is like, not from a screen of some kind, like the actual lived in experience, because that's the only way that you're going to get a realistic picture of it and figure out um, if it's for you. Wow, Jack, this is incredible. I mean, for the 30 some minutes that we have just had you on our podcast, we have learned a ton and a lot. Yes, of you are applicable. Wise beyond your years. That is <laughs> yes. for sure. Thank you so much, Jack, for being our guest today. It was absolutely just a delight to have you and to hear just all of your learning and your growth. And just you are just a genuinely balanced um, very well-informed and knowledgeable person. So we are excited to see what you do and how med school goes for you. So we will hopefully be in touch with you as your year goes on in your first year of med school. Yes. And good luck too. Thank you so much. It's been such a privilege, like I said, to help with this in a small way. I, I really hope that you guys get a wide audience because I think this is important work and, you know, educating young children is not easy. And so, However you can help with that, I, I think it's great. Thanks, Jack, so much. Thanks. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another Adventures in Being Gifted episode. Please make sure that you subscribe and review us wherever you listen to your podcast so you don't miss an episode. Join us again next time for more Adventures in Being Gifted. <laughs>